And we left off last week with Pastor Norb speaking uh, on Joseph in, in Egypt. He is in Egypt as the second in command only to Pharaoh. Quite a journey for Joseph. His half-brothers came to Egypt because they were enduring the famine uh, as prophesied by Joseph. And they made a deal with Joseph that they would return with Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, to prove that they were not spies. Or at least this was kind of the ruse that Joseph was using. For his half-brothers didn't actually recognize Joseph. So Joseph, to them, is just this Egyptian leader. Uh, and maybe, maybe they thought that about Joseph, maybe they thought he was dead or that he was working on some field, but I'm sure that it did not cross their mind that they would be dealing with Joseph uh, in Pharaoh's keep, in, in dealing with the person who is in charge of Pharaoh's land and all that kind of stuff. And so they are very confused, they have no idea who he is, and, uh, and so they traded Simeon for their release, and promised that they would return with Benjamin. And this is kind of where we pick up in uh, chapter 43. This is what Florence read already. Uh, and so we're going to get right back into it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 43. We're going to be there all day, uh, every day for the next week. and uh, But we're going to get into verse 1 and 2 right now. Uh, but no, we'll get all the way through it today. Uh, let's read it together again. But the famine continued to ravage the land of Canaan. When the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, go back and buy us a little more food. That is very tiny writing on the screen. I am so sorry. Uh, So we have this, uh, we have reason to believe that the brothers who came and tried to purchase the grain, that, that they are in the midst of the very first year of the famine. This is what a lot of commentaries say. So a lot of people speculate they're in the first or second year, really early in the famine. And, 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 and Jacob, he had no idea that the famine was going to happen. And so they are caught off guard. And even in the midst of it, they have no idea how long it's going to last. And so it kind of puts them into a difficult time and a difficult situation. But Joseph knows. He knows about the famine. In fact, this is what he prophesied, or or, or rather, he told uh, Pharaoh's dream, revealing in in chapter 41 that the famine will take place for seven years. But it was afterwards, before it rather, there was seven years of prosperity. And then again, like I said, there was seven years of famine following the prosperity. And, And so this is all happening really quickly for Jacob and his family. They're running out of food. And so when the brothers first were sent to Egypt, maybe Jacob and the sons as well, the brothers, were thinking, we're just experiencing a bad year. We heard that Egypt has planned for it, and so we're going to go. We're going to get grain for them. We're going to buy just a little food, maybe to hold us out for the year, uh, and we should be okay. And when the famine doesn't break after the following year, Jacob tells them to go back. And get a little more grain because Egypt, like I said, is the only nation who has prepared for this. And they have stored away a lot of food too numerous to count. And it's almost like us, right? Every winter we see the snowfall and, and for some reason us Edmontonians, we stick around. We see the amount and the unceasing nature uh, a year after year, the amount of snow that falls. And we say almost to convince ourselves, oh, don't worry, it won't be as bad next year. It'll, it'll lighten up a little bit or, oh, it'll be, it'll be short this year. We'll get spring and we'll get summer. 
Yeah, that happened. And, uh, and, I won't, <laughs> and I won't smell as much next time. And, and I think we fool ourselves year after year, hoping that it's just going to get better. Uh, and, and there's another reason why I think people think we're crazy here in Edmonton. Uh, it's cheering for the Oilers probably, you know. It's just another rebuilding year. We'll get there. We'll get there. And, uh, yeah, we're crazy up here. Uh, so anyways, the, the brothers in Jacob, they, as we just read in verse 2, are running out of grain. And uh, this famine in the land is not breaking. And so Jacob tells them, go back to Egypt. Probably with the mindset that he may knew, lose another son or two. He's willing, and this is kind of Jacob's mindset, and this is what we're seeing with him, is he's, he's willing to maybe lose a son again. He lost Simeon already, and maybe he's okay with losing another son. And it's kind of brutal to think about. But, I mean, what do you do? It's, it's a famine in the land, and he has to survive. And so this is maybe his mindset. But he does not want to risk Benjamin. And this is why when we get into the conversation in the next couple of verses here, between Judah and Jacob... We see Jacob persistent. He is not wanting to let Benjamin go. He doesn't want to see him gone. Like I said, Jacob maybe was fine with losing another son, but definitely not Benjamin. And there Jacob goes again, falling into his old trap of playing favorites. It didn't end up well with Joseph. And honestly, I I, I really wonder what would have happened to Benjamin if God wouldn't have been in control of this situation. I wonder what would have happened. But what we do see here is necessity forcing Jacob to do something that he normally would never do. He is considering sending his family back to Egypt, a place where he would never have wanted to send his sons. Because even even as we read about further on the passage, Egyptians and Hebrews, they do not get along. They are butting heads constantly. And so we see the conversation happen And Jacob starts to contemplate, am I actually going to have to let Benjamin go? Am I going to have to send him in the mix with his half-brothers? And here's what I find so interesting about this passage. In no place, at least again, in Scripture is it worded that we see Jacob seeking out God. We don't see him turning to God and saying, God, what do you want from me? What, why, what, why is this happening? Do I really have to send Benjamin? Do I really have to send my sons back? Is the famine about to break? Like all these things. We don't see him talking to God at all. We don't see him trying to go to God and get direction. Instead, what we see is Jacob relying on his own strength and cunning. But we'll come back to that as we read this next part. Uh, Let's read it again, verse 3 to 7. I know it's a lot, so we're just going to go through it again to refresh our mind. But Judas said, "The, the man was serious when he warned us, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember, the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. Why were you so cruel to me, Jacob moaned. Why did you tell him you had another brother? The man kept asking us questions about our family, they replied. He asked us, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? So we answered his questions. How could we, kn- how could we know he would say, bring your brother down here? Man, it's almost like Joseph knew them. 
knew that he had another brother, knew that their dad was probably still alive. It's crazy. It's funny that they don't notice it's Joseph, but this is what's going on. And it's only when Judah explains again that they can't leave to Egypt without Benjamin, this dilemma really forces Jacob to consider letting Benjamin go, and it leaves Jacob very upset and frustrated with the way things have gone. It is probably burning up a lot of the past with the time that he had to let Joseph go, or he told Joseph to go and check on his brothers and how he lost Joseph. And this time Jacob is having similar feelings about letting his new favorite son go with his other half-brothers. And he hopes that a similar fate won't befall him while Benjamin's with his brothers. Another interesting conversation happens here because in, in Jacob, he's talking and he's frustrated with letting go of Benjamin. He's frustrated with contemplating this. But what we see again is, is, is Jacob's in the midst of it. He's in the midst of dealing with this famine. And again, we don't have any context of understanding whether he's praying or he's not. But I mean, again, he probably is to an extent. He may not be seeking God's direction. Again, we're not, we don't read that. But I can probably assume that he is praying and asking God, why aren't you relenting on the famine? Why is this still happening? But we don't see it in Scripture. But we can probably assume that that is the case. And if that is the case, if Jacob is praying and he's getting frustrated, he's getting probably bitter because God isn't answering the question. He isn't letting the famine relent he isn't causing their crops to grow. It, nothing is going on here. They're just stuck. And maybe he doesn't understand why God isn't listening to him. Why, why are they enduring such a hardship? And further, why is God forcing his hand to send his sons with Benjamin to go back to Egypt? I wonder if this relates with what maybe you're going through today. I know for me, it, it does. It definitely does. I have been praying lots for God to do something, and, and seemingly he isn't answering the prayer, and, and, and I wonder where God is, and why isn't he answering my prayers. And I've, I've been here before, and I've done, gone through this before, and, and God has inevitably, like, later on answered my prayers. But in this moment, as I'm praying, I, I don't see where God is answering the prayer in fact, I don't think he's answering the prayer at all. And I wonder if you relate to that. Because I think this is where, jo- where Jacob currently is. But I wonder if God actually is answering Jacob's prayer. Much like he is answering our prayer. And his answer for this season, for this given time, for this moment, is actually no. That's a tough one. But maybe more correctly, it's no, not yet. No, I just came back from a second week at Camp Caroline. And, and one of the many things that I saw this week out at camp was when kids hear the words no, it's not a good thing. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks for all involved and even those who are not involved. 
because man, it just all, all of a sudden, when a kid hears no, it, it just causes a screaming match. It turns into an all-out war. It often results in a temper tantrum. They get frustrated, and out comes every mother and every father's worst question slash scream from the bowels of their inner being. Uh, why? Why aren't you letting this? Why aren't you letting me do it? <laughs> Why aren't you letting this happen? Why, why can't I do it? Why, 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 why? And reasonably in itself, why isn't actually a bad question. But when it turns into a way to try to push to get your own way, man, that why turns into nails on a chalkboard. It is the most infuriating thing that you can hear. And I, and I feel... Like as a frustration, as frustrating as it is for parents or adults to hear a kid cry out why in response to a no, we should know better than to do the same with God. But just like it is for kids, a way to deal with the confusion, confusion, that the no has caused, Why don't we get that with God? Why, why, don't, why, why is it different when we are praying to God and, and we hear a no or we don't hear anything and so we assume maybe it's a no, not right now. Why do we get so persistent? Why do we get so frustrated with God? Why can't we actually handle it or deal with it? It's almost like we're kids of our Heavenly Father too. And so what we do see here happen is, is God isn't relenting the famine he does seem to be answering no to Jacob. And the reason for it is there's a bigger picture at work. There's something more beyond the surface of what is really happening. And so Jacob considers letting Benjamin go. And what we see is part of the bigger picture is Joseph was wanting to see Benjamin. And he was also testing to see if his brothers had improved. To see if they treated Benjamin better than how they treated him. I think it was also a test to see how was this long trip going to go between the brothers and between their half-brother, Benjamin. I wonder if, if Joseph was wondering about, would they look after Benjamin on the way to Egypt? Would they be true to their word on coming back to rescue Simeon? Could they be trusted again? Could they have maybe regretted what they actually did to Joseph and thus be protective of their little brother? I wonder if these questions are running through Joseph's mind when he is putting them to the test about coming back. I think there's a lot happening behind the scenes of what we read in these passages. Let's jump back to our section we read previously because something happens amidst the worrying of Jacob. What we do see is one of their brothers step up and begin to take action and reason with their father. It's not the brother that we even expect. It's not Reuben who's the one who has a good head on his shoulders from the way that he kind of was dealing with Joseph. He's the one who protected Joseph. But who we do see step up is Judah. Judah, in verses 8 to 10, he begins to reason with their father about going back to Egypt with Benjamin, so that they can go and get grain. And, and Judah swears his life to protect Benjamin. Let's read him. Verse 8. 
Judas said to his father, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we will all die of starvation. And not only we, not only we, but you and our little ones. I personally guarantee his, Benjamin's, safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gone and returned by twice now. Now, up until this point in Scripture, Judah hasn't been depicted well. Like I said, he's the one who betrayed Joseph. He's the one who actually said to his brothers, let's sell him into slavery. Let alone some of the other horrible stuff that happened in between there, which we won't get into this morning. It's at this moment that we see Judah in a good light for the first time in Scripture. It's the first time we see Judah step up take ownership, take some leadership, take some responsibility. And really for Judah, it's a turning point in his story in scripture. Let's keep going in our passage. Verse 11. So their father Jacob said to them, if it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack up your bags with the best products of the land. Take them down to the man as gifts. Balm, honey, gum, aromatic resin, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Also take double the money that was put in your sacks, as it was probably someone's mistake. Then take your brother and go back to the man. May God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man, so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. And this is the sentiment that we leave Jacob with as he, as we are about to turn our attention back to the story of Joseph. But before we do that, let's look at what Jacob is doing. What is Jacob doing? He is relying on his own strength, his wisdom and cunning. He is doing the same tactic that he did with his other brother, with, his, with Jacob's brother. What did he do? He gave him all this stuff to win him over to his side so that he could take from him. And so this is what he's wanting to do again. He frustratedly lets his sons go, but he gives them a bunch of gifts in hoping to impress the Egyptian leader, which is Joseph. He also ends in verse 14 saying something which, if it was cut short, would have been great. Hopeful even. It it would have been a great way to leave his sons on the way back to Egypt. He ends with saying, may God give you mercy. Right? What a great way to go. What almost like a blessing that he gives to his sons. But he doesn't end there. He actually ends with saying, but if I must lose my children, so be it. So be it. He's resigning his faith that things are not going to go well. That probably what he's saying is God has forsaken me. If you would have only cut it short. We could have seen a man of God who has been through hardship before, who has learned what the correct response should be in tough times. But what we do get instead is a man who is leaning more on his own strength and hope rather than leaning and trusting in God. He resigns the fate of his sons, believing that he's going to lose his children, or at least some of his children. And in Jacob's eyes, he really hoped he doesn't lose Benjamin. For Jacob, he thinks, why else would the Egyptian man want all his sons to go back to him? Why would he want his youngest brother there? This Egyptian man is probably trying to manipulate them, probably trying to get the most slaves that he possibly could as a trick or a game for whatever reason. But what we do see is Jacob does relent and his sons go with Benjamin. 
So picking back up in verse 15, we see the brothers with Benjamin make the trip to Egypt. And in verse 16 to 17, we really start to open up on what we're actually talking about this morning. So let's read that and let's actually get into the meat of it. So when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the manager of his household, These men will eat with me this noon. Take them inside the palace and go slaughter an animal. Prepare a big feast. So the man did as Joseph told them and took them into the palace. Joseph sees his little brother uh, among his half-brothers. And it's there Joseph begins to release probably some of the frustration and the anger that he had with his brothers. And God is beginning to let Joseph confront his brothers and also really confront his past hurts. Joseph, as we see, starts to move towards rebuilding trust with his brothers. Joseph tells the servant to start preparing a feast. Joseph attempts to welcome his brothers, and he tries to embrace them. I think when we are hurt by people, especially those who are close to us, the hardest thing that we can do is actually see that person. I know when I've been hurt by people in the past, the last thing I want to do is just see that person. Is to actually see them face to face. Man, I, I, I can visualize them in my head, and I can say all the bad stuff in my mind about them, but when I'm seeing them face to face, man, it is hard. It is a difficult thing. And for Joseph, this is the second time that he has seen his his brothers since they betrayed him. Joseph, as we read it, is starting to come around to having his brothers near him. In fact, he is willing to eat with them. And as hard as it is to see someone that we're mad at, it's harder to eat with them. It's hard, harder to share a meal with them. And so Joseph is taking big steps in the right direction. Um, yeah, sharing a meal with someone that you're upset with is, is also a really difficult thing to do. Yet what we see here is God is doing something in the heart of Joseph. And here's the craziness of what is happening in this story, because it's not just Joseph, but it's his brothers that are in this story as well. While Joseph is taking huge steps forward in restoring his relationship with his brothers, they, the brothers, are worried about their life. They think that this is all a ploy to enslave them. Let's read it in verse 18. The brothers were terrified when they saw that they were being taken into Joseph's house. It's because of the money someone put in our sacks last time. While we were here, they said, he plans to pretend that we stole it. Then he will seize us and make us slaves and take our donkey. I love it. This is such a like such a juicy passage of scripture. It's so funny what is happening here. The brothers are fearing for their lives. I mean, they're scared about becoming slaves to this Egyptian man, which I say Marvel cannot write something as elegant as this. They are fearing the exact same thing that they did to Joseph. They're they're worried about being sold into slavery, about being slaves. The exact same thing that they did to Joseph. It's just hilarious almost. They might be thinking, oh no, God is going to do to us what we have done to Joseph. This is what's also going through the minds of Joseph's brothers. And this is what I find also really funny. They have this crazy afterthought after thinking about that they might go into slavery. They're like, oh, and our donkeys too. Ooh, they might take them. (laughs) It's going to make it hard to walk back to to Canaan. 
to go back to our dad. Even if we escape servitude, oh, we're going to have to walk. You get like, like, come on. Oh, my gosh. These guys, it, it's so funny. Their mind, they're so worried. They're so stressed out. And it's just ridiculous. But let's keep going so we can focus more on, on what we're really talking about. Verse 19, the brothers approached the manager of Joseph's household and spoke to him at the entrance of the palace. Sir, they said, we have come to Egypt once before to buy food, but as we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks. When we discovered that each man's money and the exact amount paid was in the top of his sack, here it is. We have brought it back with us, and we also have additional money to buy more food. We have no idea who put our money back in our sacks. 23, relax, don't be afraid, the household manager told them. Your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure into your sacks. I know I've received your payment. Then he released Simeon and brought him out to them. Up until this moment, the brothers have been on edge, and, and honestly, rightly so. It would have ended, if it would have ended there, it would have been a scary situation. It would have been scary for them to be taken and all this kind of stuff. But what we really start to see is we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We, gar- we start to see the hope that is coming into the passage for them as brothers. We begin to see that mercy, the mercy that, that Jacob kind of half-heartedly said to them is really starting to come true. God is providing mercy in the midst of this scary situation for them. Their hearts in the midst of worrying is starting to be calmed. It start- they're starting to relax. In the final passage here, verse 24, the manager then led the men into Joseph's palace and he gave them water to wash their feet, provided food for the donkeys, and they were told they, they would be eating there. So they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon. When, Jacob came, or sorry, when Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought, they had brought him and then bowed low to the ground before him. After greeting them, he asked, how was your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied, our servant, our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low again. Then Joseph looked at his brother, Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. And he went into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. The waiter served Joseph at his own table, and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egyptians despise Hebrews and refuse to eat with them. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit, and to their amazement, he seated them according to age, oldest to youngest. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with them. Throughout all of, this, all, all of Joseph's story, throughout all of it, God has been up to something incredible. And in this passage, here we see that God has something important that he is doing with Joseph that is of the utmost importance for us today, I believe. God knows Joseph has been hurting. He has seen him betrayed by his brothers, Potiphar's wife, after serving their family so well. And we see him betrayed in jail by a baker and a cupbearer. And finally, we see God restoring Joseph's heart through rebuilding trust in his brothers. 
they have done what Joseph asked. Benjamin is in good health. And honestly, it speaks a lot to Joseph about who his half-brothers have become. Because he knew how Jacob would have reacted to the news of Joseph being killed. And he also knows how protective Jacob would have become over Benjamin. And I'm sure when the brothers came before Joseph, they probably had Benjamin hiding between them in attempts to hide their youngest brother. And to keep him safe, this probably also would have spoke volumes to Joseph. And what we see when, when Simeon is returned, that is Joseph keeping his end of the promise. He's like, you do this, and I will do this. And they come back, and all is made well when they actually do what they set out to do. What we see is God working in these passages. He is working on the heart of Joseph. Joseph could have, from the very first time when his brothers showed up, he could have sent them away with nothing. Or worse, he, he, he could have had them killed or enslaved. But, jo- but Joseph does not do that. What we do see is Joseph take a chance on his brothers. And here's what's so important for us today. God doesn't ever want to leave us in our hurt and pain. Much like God, he sees, he sees Joseph's hurt and pain from the terrible things that his brothers have done. And he isn't willing to let Joseph stay there without giving him a rope out. Without giving him a way out of the situation. For so many of us, we've been hurt by loved ones. And what do we do? We do the exact opposite of what we see Joseph do. We dig ourselves in and we commit to staying hurt. And in every opportunity, we look for ways to hurt those who have actually hurt us first. But God doesn't desire for us to live that way. He doesn't desire for us to stay there. In fact, it's not in his plan at all. This is very much so what we see about God in this passage. God's character is one which restores and reunites. And he wants that for us. He knows that restoring and reuniting is a much better way of life. A way that leads to true life. When we live in hurt and pain, we experience it daily, regardless if it happened a week ago, 10 weeks ago, or 10 years ago. Living in hurt and pain from relationships also leads to all relationships that we have suffering. They will never be complete relationships while we are still hurt from other people and we are holding on to it. Man, I I, I can't help but think that we have a lot to learn from the faithfulness of Joseph in doing what God has called him to do. So how does Joseph live out rebuilding trust? Let's examine this a bit. Let's look at it a little bit closer at what Joseph actually does. In chapter 42, Joseph confronts his brothers for the first time. it's, It's his first moment to come face to face with his past hurts. And the first thing that we see Joseph do is confront the hurt. This is what he does, the very first thing, is he's confronting the hurt that he has. Sometimes we don't even know there are hurts until all of a sudden we are presented with those who actually hurt us and all of a sudden it reminds us, oh, they did this. Oh, man, they, they said this to me. Can you believe it? And, and, and we see them and it recharges everything. And for some of us, we don't know that we're hurt by people until all of a sudden we're face-to-face with them and we just have this pit in our stomach. 
And then we have the option, how do we actually deal with it? Are we going to deal with it? Are we going to deal with the hurt or not? It's the same thing when we get a bruise. We ask ourselves, when did we get the stupid thing? How did it happen? And we wrestle with it because sometimes it actually takes a moment to think it through and be like, oh yeah, I hit it on the car door coming to church. Now sometimes even the idea of thinking back on hurt is enough to drive us to frustration and even to tears. And yet it is such an important process. And for Joseph, it probably causes him to relive all the past hurts. And honestly, the biggest hurt of all, being betrayed by the ones you love or loved. I think there can be no bigger hurt in the world than being, by betrayed, being betrayed by people we love. The more research I did for this message on what are life's biggest hurts, the more I've become convinced that being betrayed by ones closest to us, such as family, is the top. It is the biggest hurt of all. And I've experienced some hurt in my life, but my heart sinks, my heart sinks when I begin to read people's stories or when I've heard people share stories with me. I, my heart hurts for my friends. And honestly, my heart, I, I, I don't know how they, how they've endured it. And when I really place myself in the shoes of Joseph, my heart hurts for Joseph. He was betrayed by his brothers. The ones who were supposed to look out for you. I'm, I'm the youngest brother uh, out of, out of all, my, all of my family. I'm the youngest son. And being betrayed by that man, that would, that would crush me. And so putting myself in Joseph's shoes, it, it is hard. So I have to say to, you, to those of you who have been hurt by someone who is, who is family or as close as family as it gets, I am deeply sorry for what has happened to you. It's not fair, it's not right, and it isn't where God wants you to dwell. And before I move on, I have to say this. If you find yourself in a dangerous spot and you're being abused or controlled, please know there can be healing and restoration, period. There can be healing and restoration. But know that this can also happen without you continuing to be hurt. If you need out of a bad situation, you need and must get out of that situation before the healing and restoration can start. You must get away from that individual if they are abusing you and controlling you. There's no excuse for that. But if you've been hurt and and it's not abuse, it's not control, let's get back into this message because this part is really, I hope it sinks in. And even for those of you who have gone through that abuse and control, I pray once you're out of that situation, or if you are out, that this will really speak to you as well. Back to Joseph. This is is why when Joseph confronts his brothers, we see him not dismissing them or enslaving them like he could have, but rather he chooses to set them free from a punishment. He actually instead puts a test before them. And this is the second thing that we learn from Joseph, the second takeaway. Hurts are caused by people who are hurt and broken. Joseph sees his brothers, and and maybe for the first time ever, it starts to click for him. It starts to make sense. Maybe they were deeply hurt by their father's actions of making Joseph his favorite. And maybe they were hurt by Joseph's actions in just kind of soaking that in and, and, and really relishing it. For Joseph's story, there's a lot going on. 
And while it doesn't give allowance for what has happened, it perhaps lets Joseph process more. And so Joseph puts this trial, like I said, before his brothers to go and bring Benjamin to him. And he also gives them the money back with the grain so that they can go and, and, and let's see if you're going to pay us back that money. If you're going to be honest about the money that we put back in your sock. Or are you going to try to hide it? I think this is all a plan for Joseph to see, okay, are my brothers trustworthy? And he gives them time to think about it. He gives them time to process it. And this is the next point. Rebuilding trust, it takes time. Make no mistake about this. It takes time to move on from being hurt. And it takes time to process it. To, to, to process where it all comes from. And to, place, to get to a place where you can actually start making steps in the right direction, in a good direction. So don't rush yourself. When you've been hurt, don't rush it. Don't, don't rush the feelings and the emotions that you have and or you are feeling. But at the same time, don't dwell there. Don't stay in the hurt and the feelings. And don't, don't just consume that constantly. But begin to make a way. The brothers do eventually come back with Benjamin, and they come back with double the money to repay the initial grain and buy more. Sometimes this is an important step to rebuilding trust, too. You see, when you actually give time for hurts to actually work out, you give time for the other person to work with it, too. And it gives time for rest to actually think through what has happened and to start making the right steps in the right direction. And I just, I, I, can't get, I can't get over this last thought, guys. As we continue for it is, you need to set small steps towards rebuilding that relationship, towards rebuilding forgiveness and trust. It is a small, tedious steps. It is small and it, and it takes time. But the thing with it is, the more you actually allow people to work through it, and you take those small steps, not big steps at a time, you will actually start making headway. You'll actually start getting in the right direction. And when those steps have actually been made, celebrate it. Actually rejoice. We see Joseph with his brothers actually set a feast before them in celebration of the steps that they have done. Look for moments when you are rebuilding trust with that person or in that situation to celebrate it, to actually be happy about what has happened and what is going on. Rebuilding trust. Even as we see Joseph, when when he sees his little brother Benjamin for the first time, we see Joseph overcome with emotions. And he has to hide away in the back room to cry a little bit and then to wash his face and come back out. This is the next thing. We need to realize that it is an emotional ordeal, and that is okay. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to feel all the emotions as you are rebuilding everything. That's all okay. And if that's where we were to end it, if that, if that was the final part of this message, I think we would miss it. We would miss what is also happening here. What we also see is God is very much so a part of the process. He is working with Joseph. He is guiding him. And probably when Joseph doesn't have the strength to keep on going, he is relying on God. And that is what we need to do as Christians, is we need to rely on God in the midst of all these different steps. All these steps are great and good, but without God, man, we're going to have the toughest time to rebuild trust with the people that have hurt us. 
So seek God out. It is the good news that we have as Christians is that Christ is on our side. He is holding us up. He is giving us the power and the strength to continue working on it. And the most amazing thing that happened for Joseph, as we're going to continue to find out in the coming weeks, can happen for you as well. You can rebuild that trust. You can restore the relationship. You can actually find healing. Thank God that Jesus is a restoring, healing, miracle-working God that can work through any situation with us. Our God is pretty amazing. And he is willing to be your savior and companion through all of life, including in the midst of rebuilding trust and rebuilding relationships and working through the hearts that you have had and will have. And here's the final thought I want you to leave you with today. Are you willing to turn to your savior with your brokenness? Are you willing to actually seek out Christ when you are hurting Are you willing to go to him knowing that you're going to have to release it? Are you willing to go to him and say, God, I I need you desperately? Because I want you to know he, he is willing and capable of bringing healing and restoration. Please know that we are a church of the brokenhearted, and we are willing to stand with you through the hurts that you face. And so today, if this message maybe is, is poking something in you if, you, if you have a hurt or if you have some frustration that is built inside you that you need prayer, you need someone to stand with you, know that this church is full of people. And at the end of every service, we have an opportunity to come up and pray with people. And I would really encourage you, if you feel God is bringing something up, that you would seek him out and come up and pray with someone and actually start this process of rebuilding trust, of restoring relationships and releasing the hurt that has happened to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for the fact that your word is good, that it is true, that it speaks life, healing, and abundance in it. And so God, I pray for all of us, Lord, that... Hurt is inevitable. We're, we're going to be hurt in this life. And so, God, I pray that we would have the boldness to come before you. That we would, we would go to you when life's hurts come and, and we would know that we can actually be restored. That we can find healing for ourselves, And that we can find healing for the relationships that have been hurt as well. But God, above all else, I, I, I pray that your spirit would just be present, that we would leave this place proclaiming the good news, that we have a God and a Savior who is willing to meet with us each and every single day amidst every situation, whether good or bad. So God, to you be all the glory and all the praise. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. All God's people said, Amen.